Hi guys and welcome to another episode of the DNS Podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Dan. So today's episode, uh, kind of inspired by Big Mike. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about programming and competing. Um, chatting to him the other day about my training. Uh, Mike being as blunt as he is. Mike as in Gov. Mike as in Gov. Uh, our most popular episode so far. Yeah, we've got to get him back on. We keep saying that we're going to get him on, but uh, he's pretty busy. We're pretty busy, and we've only got sort of small slots in the week, haven't we, to, yeah. to make this happen. So we'll definitely get him on again um, to sort of dive more into the programming side of things because Mike's obviously been in the trenches under a barbell for 20-plus years. He got himself to a, to a very high standard of lifting. He's got a lot of good stuff to say, and he's always challenging our ideas definitely. on the gym floor. and. He, you and him are always uh, back and forth in terms of training, which is uh, a discussion all in itself. It is. I think we're going to, uh, I don't think he'd ever allow it, but one day we'll have to film a training session with Mike. Yeah, that um, would be, uh, I think that would be great for the viewers. You're like, um, you're like a set of cousins that haven't seen each other in a number of years that are just... It's like that movie, Step Brothers. That's the one, Step Brothers. <laughs> no. um, we fight, but we love each other. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so chatting to him about my training um, and just training in general, Mike has a very, uh, how, do, how do I say it? Mike's got a very set opinion on things, a very like black and white way of approaching training and, and life in general, really. But uh, And a personal experience. Yeah. Obviously all of his, most of his um, ideas are coming from what's kind of worked on him yeah. and through him, um, which is great. You know, from a guy that squatted mid threes, yeah, pretty sure. Pulled mid threes, mid to late threes. I think three sixty five is something around where he's pulled and benched in the twos. Yeah, or close to two hundred kilos. Um, in knee wraps. Yeah, I'm mean, watching the guy bench here with no tricep at the moment. Yeah, one eighty. Yeah, he's uh, he's having a good go. He's utilising the. The uh, Mark Bell slim shot just to just sort of help a little bit so we can still chase the load a little bit yeah. and uh, protect that elbow. Because, um, yeah, he he tore it off. He think he tore the tricep tendon, didn't he? Yeah, recently. Um, maybe maybe uh, before Christmas. Yeah, he was training, went to re-rack the pin height slips and... Missed it and blew it out. Yeah. And it's happened a couple of times now, so... Uh, Mike's... Uh, as I say, I chatted to him about, well, I was actually chatting about my squat. Um, I, I've only recently started to enjoy squatting again. I hated it for quite a while there. Not a great squatter, but um, I'm, as, as he so puts it, I'm being one of the pretty people. And so I'm doing some hypertrophy at the moment. So I'm one of those pretty people. So you're hypertrophy at the minute, you've got. Two squat days or one squat day? Uh, one squat day, tempo squats. Which is your three second eccentric. Yeah. For sets of six. Um, so, and I don't know what it is. Any any form of volume for me squatting, like, I got, I got no legs. <laughs> I can't I can't do high number squat, high volume squats. And I just don't think that you, you're that really interested in doing anything sort of but I'm the same no. I got if I look at if I look at my program and I see if I'll, sometimes when I program for myself 
I've got the good old Holy Grail 5x5 in there. Yep. And before you sort of set it up, you're working out going, hey, I haven't got to the first working set yet. <laughs> so mentally, you know, for me, I like to squat a lot of times a week, and I like to squat heavy that time yeah. of the week and sort of distribute the volume through the week. Um, I think when we're encaptured in our training, when we want to do something, I think we can get the desired results or the outcome can be a little bit better sometimes. Yeah, I think it's when you try to, I know whenever I've tried to program for myself, and this is why Tyson to coach me now, like you sort of, you miss the forest for the trees. Yeah. So you put, you're like, okay, I know I'm weak here, and you just overload the program with like trying to fix your weaknesses. But like, they it doesn't go anywhere. No. So you sort of go around in circles a little bit. Yeah, and they almost get worse in some in some instances. Like the lockouts always been my problem on a deadlift. So you know, rack pulls and deficits and like everything and I'm like my deadlift's just gone to shit because I'm not actually deadlifting I'm just doing a thousand variations on a deadlift yeah you can kind of dance around the problem rather than sort of attacking it straight on and, and most of the time as well a lot of the time um, it's not a, a strength issue in its in its sense it's actually a technical issue so yeah. the lockout you know we don't always have to look at what's happening from that top portion we need to look what's happening off the floor um, how's our body responding um, biomechanically off the floor? Our hips going up too early, is the bar drifting? Can we fix those things at a lighter weight and then allow us to then progress from there? Um, but obviously variations can come really handy um, in certain instances to sort of feel what you should feel or mm. accentuate a certain position. If you're looking at like one of the lads down there, uh, very tall, femurs like a mile long, having to almost good morning his bottom half of the squats mm. just because there's there's nowhere else for him to go. Yeah. Mm. Which, you know, most people would sit there and look at that and go, oh, that's, you know, that's a bad position. But that's the only way he's able to, to achieve depth. To achieve depth, yeah. So, you know, the principles behind movements are good to know, good to have there, but they're not fixed rules. No, because everyone's built differently yeah everyone's anthropometrics are slightly different um, so yeah you've got to be able to adapt that as a coach you know that's why I'm not really you know everyone has these systems in place you should squat with you know a vertical torso knees have to go tremendously outwards and all this stuff which you know I understand there's some biomechanical truths there um, but we need to see what's in front of us yeah um, if they're competing in powerlifting they need to squat to depth what do we need to do to make them squat the most weight they can within the rules of the sport? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're quite one off, one off topic a little bit. Look, yeah, got a little bit. Good off topic. Yeah. So, um, but around around that sort of programming and, and training, um, in a couple of weeks we've got 11, 12 people competing in powerlifting. Got eleven, yeah. So eleven turnout, yeah. Um, and we've got everything from sixty-three females to open class, open, yeah, to eight men. Um, obviously, a little, uh, a little, a lot of different programming considerations to go in there. Mm. Um, you know, male, female, weight class, etc., etc. Um, you, you've got most of them, to be fair. How, how have you approached 
this little peak because it's been a bit it's been a bit muddled because we're all trying to qualify for states which didn't happen last year yeah so in terms of the pro- okay so the guys obviously are doing this comp because they need to qualify for states yeah we've looked at the totals and the totals to do this are relatively low every single person they could probably hit the, t- the desired total on their own lift so um, as a coach and for most of these people that are kind of relatively still new to the sport, I'm still using it as an exercise to go out there and get comp experience. Yeah. So we're all, everyone's going to take my attempts. Um, obviously, a lot of the guys where the competition's placed in the calendar, people had a little bit of time for Christmas. So there's no real peak. Uh, we'll just kind of train into it, give them a volume to, you know, to make the desired adaptations. Um, and yeah, so there's nothing really different in that sense. The guys all have a lighter week leading into comp. Um, we may hit some openers. Yeah. Um, reduce one of the training sessions. Treat that fourth one as competition down the Sunday. So three in the week. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of programs, the structures, the structure across the, from Brene all the way through to Ben is kind of the same. Um, the way that I've uh, distribute the volumes um, and some of the frequencies are a little bit different like with Ren as you know with Mads I need to throw a little more at her yeah um, if I drop off the volume too much um, things start feeling really heavy and going to shit um, whereas with <coughs> Sparks or Luke or those sort of guys if I put too much at them uh, the recovery it's, it's hard for them to really recover yeah um, but yeah, in terms of the structure, um, my usual go-to is squat twice a week, one variation, one competition, deadlift, one competition, one variation, and two to four presses. Nice. Someone like Ben, who's you know pushing, well, he's got 185 on his bench at the moment. How's how's his approach to bench as opposed to someone like Sparks, who's got What's he, 130, 140? 150. 150, oh, good on him. So, with Ben, we sort of found his sweet spot is twice a week. Yep. Anything more, it just, it just finds it really hard to recover and it just sort of washes out. Um, but yeah, Sparksy and Brandon as well, when they're sort of around that sort of 140 scale, three seems to be a decent one for him to make progress. Yep. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much the way I go about it. Ben's, you know, Ben's obviously bench has gone up exponentially over the past since he's been with us. Yeah. Tried to put in the extra day of bench, didn't work, brought it back to two, and it kept going up. So yeah, just kept it there. And for for those, for him was it like a lot of variation? Was it just a lot of comp work? So. Uh, actually, con specific, I should say. So when I sort of rethought um, programming for bench, I sort of got stuck in the world of always doing pause work. So mm-hmm. I, I come off, I sort of stood back a little bit and um, sort of diagnosed it a little bit. I started putting a lot more touch and go, yep, and some partial range stuff, and Ben thrived off that, like the when we ran the peak up to the 180, because 180 was the bench that he wanted to get. Um, we literally said, oh, let's run it as touch and go, and then we'll see how we go. And his bench just went through the roof. 
Um, so we had touch and go on the one day, and then work off the block on the second day. Touch and go is a funny one, because I, I find I've got it in my program at the moment from Tyson. I find it mechanically so stressful, particularly on my shoulders. It's, it's a different, it's, it's a, if you're used to pause and everything, there's a bit of a control yeah. element there as well. So I, like it's, I've never, again, never enjoyed bench. I'm not sure why I powerlifted for a while there, to be honest. <laughs> um, but with the with the touch and go that I've been doing, I've actually got more confidence in my ability to bench now. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's such a when we when I first started, it was you know, don't touch and go, pause, comp specific. Yeah, blah blah blah. Um, and it took me ages to, to even crack a 100 bench for a single. Um, but there, yeah, the more the touch and go work that I've done with Tice, the better my bench has felt. Yeah, I don't really know what. I don't Obviously, know you, you're utilising the, the stretch sorting cycle there. Yeah. But you know, I suppose a different variation. Um, I'm not sure if it's allowing us to generate a little bit more force. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a more of a control element to it. Um, with a pause, you can kind of reset yourself kind of in the right position and sort of take your time to sort of get it off the chest. With the touch and go, if you fuck it up, you fuck yeah. it up, you know what I mean? But yeah, I don't really know the reason behind that. It was a, one of those things, it's one of those trial and error things where it was sort of thrown in there. Um, and that was the two that I sort of thought, sort of thought, okay, let's just throw the pause out the window. We've done so much pause work, let's sort of flip on its head. Um, and you've obviously seen a lot of the guys, obviously with the block, like yeah. the block's become a bit of a staple at the minute. Um, I think it just allows them to feel, to feel the heavier weight. Um, I think that sometimes it gets neglected with the press. I mean, actually, funny enough, I've been looking for the, the three, four, and five. It's sold out everywhere. Yeah, because we use the, it's we've got the little bench bot down there. That's got two up. Oh, actually, it's got. I've actually only realised you can actually use that for another setting as well because you can put it on its end. Yeah. Um, so essentially you've got, I want to call it like a half board. Yeah, you've got a half, a half and a one. You've got a half or one and then you've sense. got a two to three. Yeah. Um, but I usually use that middle setting. Um, and yeah, just guys are getting more confidence putting, you know, five to 10% on top of what they usually be using generally. Yeah. Um, I think it's building confidence as well with the press, getting him used to, like Sparksy, getting him used to having three plates aside on his bench. You know, I think that's for a lot of the guys, psychologically, certain numbers or the way a bar looks can be quite intimidating. Um, and being that, that far, you know, being that close, it was kind of like, okay, we're gonna shorten the range a little bit, which was not, it might not be easier for everyone. Yeah. But it was a chance for us to put three plates on and work with it, you know, once a week. And then, you know, over time, as they get stronger, as we build in the work off the chest, just kind of fed in nicely, and next thing you know, he's, you know, bench 150. Have you had much experience using the slingshot for no. load? No, so I, I actually bought one when they first come out, just because I was new to, this is back in like 2010, following Mark Bell, he was kind of the only one who's put a sort of yeah. consistent content out. The old Mark Bell stuff is fantastic. Yeah, they, that was some of the best videos. Used to get all the best guests on, you know. And back then as well, like people didn't have YouTube channels, so you know now you can go and pretty much pick anyone in the strength board, and they've got their own channel, their own content. Whereas yeah. before, it was everything was kind of behind closed doors. 
so we'd bring these guests and be like, oh great, Ed Cohen, you know, sort of, you know, watch how he does stuff and how he teaches his techniques or whatever. But yeah, I, I got one, uh, used it for a short while, um, but yeah, haven't really, haven't programmed it, haven't, haven't messed around myself for years. You, did you, you I had a, a, a block with it in there. Yeah. Um, it was novel. It was fun. Yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know what a slingshot is, it's pretty much mimicking what a bench shirt would do. Yep. Uh, you put your arms inside, it goes across your chest, and obviously like it's an elastic um, thingy-majiggy. So as you come down, it creates tension at the bottom, and this sort of helps you off the chest, and it sort of propels you through into that lockout range there. Um, but that's what Mike's using at the minute for for his main bench work, obviously just to take the stress off that bottom position. Yeah. Shoulder and elbow. Actually, yeah. your one's got a cut in it. Your mate cut yeah, it. Yeah, one of my mates um, was pretty tight around his arm and decided to cut it. Cheers, Derny. <laughs> but yeah, after that, I didn't think I ever used it again. Actually, I think I've got it at home. I think I, during lockdown, I took it home to keep the program rolling. I oh, yeah. Is that where it is? Yeah, yeah. I, can't, I couldn't find it because I was trying to look through the day. Somebody was trying to. Uh, I think Mike was, we were talking about different slingshots, and I said, oh, I've got one of my old ones in the box. Actually, I think it's on the on that bookcase at home but, with all uh, the pinch grips. Yeah, so one of them's got a little cut in it. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, going back to what you were saying, in terms of in terms of programs and you know what works for people, I suppose when people come in, we kind of have a set routine, yeah. or like, um, I don't want to use the word template, but we kind of got you know, a certain amount of volume, a certain amount of frequency, um, and then we kind of start, it's like a minimal effective dose. Yeah. And then we sort of trial it, we see how they get on with it, are they making progress? Yeah, okay, good, we might be able to stick with that. Um, you know, are any injuries occurring? Are they not making progress? Are we give them enough? And then mm. we start to adjust. But, you know, when any, any client or any athlete comes to us, you know, that's our sort of starting point, and then, not trial and error, but it's a calculated, it's a calculated estimate, but it's just an ongoing process. It takes time. Um, and it's going to change over time as well. Exactly. Training as they qualify, as their total increases, yeah. body weight increases, um, people tolerance certain work, you know. Their jobs may change. They might be now working a real physical job. We can't throw, they were working an office job before, so we can't throw as much at them. Yeah. They can't recover. Have a kid, you, your sleep's gone from seven hours to three. Yeah. You're not recovering, like so there, whatever there, it may be. Yeah, there, there's so many different factors involved um, in program, but yeah, we're, we're really, I suppose the way I look at it is, we're better off starting with the least amount and try and make it effective, and then it's kind of our, I'd rather give them too less than too much and completely break them, yeah. and then go from there. Well, you break them in that, that first block and there's a reluctance to, to come back, to and to, what, yeah, exactly. And where do you go from there? Yeah. Like, you know, you start them on a super high frequency. You may, okay, somebody may survive it and get these phenomenal gains, but then kind of where do we go from there? Do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's a high risk, um, you know, high risk reward sort of system there. But yeah, the minimal effect, and then we sort of progress as we see fit from there. What, uh, what about when it comes to weightlifting? So, Programming for weightlifting. How do you approach that? Um, well, obviously, we need to know 
where the person's at, yeah. you know, what, what sort of level they're at. Say like you've got someone who's, let's, let's take Stevie for example. So yeah, Stevie. A little bit of powerlifting background, we know he can squat. So Steve was an interesting one, he came in as a broken soccer player, but as you look at him you go, oh, he's got the potential to, to shift some weight, six yeah. foot, uh, decent build. Um, slowly got bitten by the bug of just wanting to lift for strength, competed powerlifting a couple of times, um, and then I suppose the whole melotony of the squat bench and deadlift, sometimes people just go, yeah, kind of done with this. Fancy a change? Fancy the change? And he's just started his weightlifting. He started doing weightlifting as his primary focus in training now. And obviously, he's come from he's come from powerlifting where he's got a decent base level of strength, um, which is for me as a coach that's pretty good because you know if someone's got no strength, we're trying to teach on the lifts and we're also trying to put stress on the body by getting them stronger. Yeah. So we've got more things to kind of throw at them. So it becomes a little bit tricky then how we sort of designate certain exercises, etc., etc. But yeah, Steve came in with a decent level of general strength. His squat was pretty decent, double body weight plus. Um, so yeah, we just spent obviously the early stages on honing the movements, understanding what a snatch is, um, developing the overhead squat, developing a front rack to be able to receive the clean. Yeah. Um, sort of teaching him. I don't want to say these fancy words, but like a technical model, do you know what I mean? Yeah. This is what we've got to do to snatch, full snatch, this is what we've got to do to clean and jerk. Um, and then yeah, I just sort of, in terms of exercise uh, selection, I'll put things on paper which I think can get that message across to him, a variation, so, you know, off the bat, um, sort of, I'll give you an example of, you know, sort of a snatch session, or session one would be like a primer movement, so something to prepare the movement, so yeah. like a snatch balance plus an overhead squat, just to get him used to that overhead position and sit into that overhead squat. And then, I like the hip snatch, so snatching from the hip to teach him what that pull should feel like, trying to get him to pull the bar straight. Obviously the bars are coming off the floor, there's a lot that can go fucking wrong from there to there, so I kind of leave that out of the way for a little bit. Um, teach him from the hip, once they sort of master the hip, uh, they might get in a session, they might get in a set, and then you know I'll sort of move on from there. We might take the bar down to above the knee, nail that, and from the knee there up to the hip, and then we'll sort of work the way bar down to to where the bar should be off the floor with a plate on it. Yeah, um, as simple as that. <laughs> um, I tell you, those block snatches are horrid. There. Yeah. So you've we do block work on. On a, you're just pretty much following yeah. me at the minute. You've got a comp in a couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, we're doing Wednesdays off of blocks, and yeah, they're they're definitely interesting. They are. They're just I find there's no room to generate any any force. Force. Yeah. Any power in that. Well, it kind of takes our legs because well, the blocks that we're using we're above the knee. Um, so yeah, obviously by the time we pull the bar to our hip, it's, it's a very short mm. short range of motion, and our legs aren't really in the best position there to sort of push. Um, but I mean, for you, shortening that range off that block, um, it really does make you pull that bar in close to your thighs. Yeah. Um, and obviously that's something from your, from the floor to your knee, we seem to be doing the right thing. From the knee to the hip, which is a really important bit, 
we just seem to be the bar just seems to get away from you. It goes away. So I think the first time I ever tried learning weightlifting was when we had that workshop here. Um, and every time I pulled and I, I was following the instruction of our, of our trainer at the time, I kept smacking myself in the stomach. Mm -hmm. So the natural instinct it was to keep it close, keep it close, miss the stomach, which means the bar's now a foot out in front of me. Yeah. And, and then try and, involved. And try and pull it back. Yeah. So <laughs> I got to fight that urge to send the bar away. Yeah, and sort of push the hips through. I mean, that, if honestly, as well, like, I'm super new to weightlifting, and everything sort of from powerlifting was hips. Yeah. You know what I mean? Low bar squatting, but utilizing the hips, you know, with the sumo, was a lot of you know, directed at the hips. And when I then brought that over to weightlifting, I found myself hip thrusting and smashing the bar. And obviously that's that's not a great position to be in. We're sort of losing that that sort of vertical bar path, which is what we want. It makes pretty much in simple terms it makes our life a lot harder. Yeah. Um, so yeah, sort of and with you we're sort of trying to feel you know, through contact what it would feel like to sort of leave the floor and kind of jump. Yeah. In that sort of manner. And it just takes fucking time. Like there's, oh, there's stuff there's you know, with weightlifting some people can naturally just like I suppose like Steve, like Steve just picked it up really well. Yeah, he has. Um, and I think also what helps as well is having like people like Sarah, Haley, Cena, those guys that have been at it for a little while, who have got a good grasp on the movements, training with them, mm. training next to them, and seeing how they do it, or how they do the variations, or how the bar moves, and how they react to the bar. You sort of you're learning on the job, and I think that was in the week and I said look just let's just train together yeah let's you know because you're a real visual learner definitely um, I'm, I'm not the greatest person to visual learn off but <laughs> there's there's some sort of idea behind it you know what yeah. I mean and I think I think that definitely helps as well but yeah the first question in terms of how do you take someone obviously you know we have a snatch we have a cleaning jerk there we need them to, to under, we need them to sort of be able to relate to some sort of technical model, and then how we break that down is 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 sort of that's all on an athlete basis. Yeah, um, I sort of have my go-to. This is like the simplest way to teach it. If we need to really regress to, to the bar, or you know, I don't really like using a dowel or anything. I think a bar's a pretty decent place bar, to start. Yeah, bar's people, fine. As, unless we're talking about young kids, um, that's a different story. Um, but yeah, and then we just sort of go from there. I, mean, I think even young kids, like, uh, during lockdown, even after, like if I trained in the garage, Quinn got really, like, um, not obsessed, but she, she'd always watch your weightlifting videos, you and Aaron down in the car park, and she'd want to try it. So she's got her own little eight kilo, it's a weightlifting technique bar, a kids bar, and she's having a go with that. And she she couldn't, couldn't snatch. And I, I, no, I wouldn't even try and teach her that snatch, but she had the, the clean jerk thing she was having a crack at. The little kid can, can deal with a bar, but yeah. a grown-up can have a go with a bar. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just think, you know, obviously there are cases where we may use, use a dar rod, but I just think it's so far away from a barbell, it's just kind of, it's a bit of a different entity. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. It's a little bit different. I think that little bit of weight actually helps the movement a little bit. It may help us to make us feel it better. I don't know if that's the right. I don't know if it's that. That's the IWF level one way to say it. But I just think you know, in, in quite a few years of teaching people how to do the lifts or variations of the lifts, um, 
There's some a little bit of, there. Yeah, you need some sort of weight in your hands. Because going from trying to do it with the barbell, where like, you could launch that thing into the roof, mm. even just as something as simple as like a five on each side, it's just that little bit of extra resistance yeah. there to feel like you're you're doing something. Like there's actual it's feedback. resistance. Yeah, yeah, feedback, that's the word. Yeah, initial feedback. And obviously as well, like, like obviously quite a few guys, like we've got Reese that have sort of come on and want to have a go at it. And it's like, they're trying to explain off the bat that it, it can be really fucking frustrating. Well, I suppose it's my job to sort of simplify it and kind of make it enjoyable as well. Because you understand that the training process, we need to attend. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's need, there needs to be some sort of, need to come back for a period of time to get better. These are skills that we need to develop. Um, so yeah, it's kind of my duty as a coach to, to sort of get them interested. And also as well, like I tell people like, do some research, like mm. in your own time. If you're interested in doing this, like go watch, go, go on YouTube, put on hook grip, and you can watch these videos in HD, in slow-mo, and watch how the pros do it. You know what I mean? And obviously don't, you're not trying to emulate off the bat, but this is this is the technical model. This is yeah. like these guys are snatching and cleaning up the world records. You know, what are they all doing? What have they all got in common? Everyone's kind of got their own sort of special, unique, you know, way of doing things, but there's biomechanical truths to each and every one of these these athletes. What are they doing? How are they doing? How are they conducting themselves with a barbell? Um, I think that's a, that's a great way to do it. If you're if you're invested in something, I think the process is going to be more enjoyable. You're going to get better results, and it's, there's that sucky period yeah. is going to be shortened. The more you just sort of come in, and you know, if you've got a program and it says snatch from the hip, and we've been doing it for four or five weeks in a row, and you don't understand what it is, are you invested in what we're doing? Do you know what I mean? Are you going to get progress? Are you just going to probably just go, no, you're not interested in doing mm. it? So, no, I went and watched the. Um the house who Max Aida with Meg Squats how to snatch and how to clean it great video on the the juggernaut YouTube um good really good little video there but you know that's someone who's had decades in in the trenches in terms of weightlifting yeah um if you genuinely care about your sport and what you want to learn what you want to do us as coaches are there to help you get like to get there facilitate it um but you do, you're right, you have to go out there and, and look and see what's out there and Yeah, and fish and find keep learning. And there's certain things that me and you as a coach, yeah. you know, obviously we've got numerous people down there, but we but there's a certain thing, you know when you do a move with this, I mean there's that moment where it's like, Oh, that's what it is. We might they might be able to go find it somewhere. Yeah. Our job as coach we're trying to we're trying to find it. But like if you're out there doing research, thinking about it, like put you know, going through the movement in your head you may you may find it you yeah. may find it quicker you know that's obviously our job whenever we're trying to teach a movement we're trying to find that thing what can we use for them to relate that movement to how do we make them feel it better i think something like you get people like myself who's a, a visual learner and i had this with one of the girls down there trying to teach them stones and i had to take a like their video pause it and like draw a line okay so this is where your stone's going this is where your stone needs to go they're like oh okay there you go it's like you've got and that took me that took me way longer than it should have done to be fair and she was progressing but as it got heavier it was a, a struggle 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 okay we've tried everything let's just draw <laughs> it goes back to those preschool days let's draw 
get the crowns out. As simple as that. Um, but yeah, yeah. That, but you know that's that's the whole coaching pro you know process, and you know things just take a little bit of time. It takes time to develop that. I don't want to say freaking bond. It's not getting arty fire here, but that relationship. Yeah. You know where you know you you know them at the back of your hand. You know you you know the way they walk through that door when they come to train. If it's going to be a good or a bad session or something in their mind. Yep. Uh, what have we got to do? By the time they get from that front door putting their bag on that shelf to a squat rack, how do we get them in the right frame of mind to train? Um, that sort of segues per- like nicely onto the next part, which is like comp day mentality. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Once that beeping stops, bloody trucks. There we go. There we go. There's the brakes. You know, that we got that comp in two weeks. And yeah. 11 different personalities in there. Yeah. Um, like that is actually something uh, Amir posted the other week um, about stimulus, like and the ability to amp yourself up at the right time. Um, we got lifters down there who will sniff ammonia for their warm up sets and yeah, and <laughs> and the coach. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> ammonia, ammonia is essentially like pop puree for me. Yeah, potpourri. Potpourri. <laughs> Um, but yeah, how, uh, teach them to tailor that back so they they can use it on comp day, as opposed to people who are like that all the time anyway. And then how do they turn it up even more come comp day? Well, yeah, for a lot of people as well, like we've seen, it, it's it's a real harsh reality because in a training session, you know, for example, a session may last for an hour, two hours. Yeah. Okay. And you have the you've got that time frame to be able to go effing nuts, okay, and get away with it. Comp day is a different kettle of fish because there's thirty other people, thirty to fifty other people competing on the same day as you. Um, you're weighing in at say eight o'clock in the morning, and your last deadlift might be flipping out. What do you reckon on a, on a worst case scenario? Five o'clock in the a- four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. So we've had it happen before. If you're blowing your load in your warm-ups for squats before your first attempt, your day is going to get really, really sour pretty, pretty fast. It's going to be a long day, and you're going to definitely leave kilos out there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's a great point. It's you know half our job as a coach is um, to obviously communicate to them and try and settle them down as much as we can um, in between lifts. Um, in between attempts, put them in the right place, maybe direct them to a certain place in the facility to sort of, which you think might be best for them. Yeah. Might be fucking just go outside for a little bit. Um, put your headphones in and sort of tune out. Uh, but yeah, that's that's a massive part. And I think, honestly, like, you know, we can sort of, we can monitor people, we can manage people in the day, but I think it just takes a few comps to get used to that. And I think that's how we learn. Yeah. Um, you know, it takes a couple of comps to, to realize that it's a bit more of a marathon, not a sprint. It's uh, a really good example of it, or two really good examples, uh, is if you go to, I actually don't know if you'll be able to see it, so if you go to the, the DNS Instagram and you look at the live feed of the Monster Dumbbell record, um, and you watch Luke between attempts, but I think the, the whole feed was focused on the dumbbell. But um, if you were there and you were watching it, he'd have his attempt and then he'd go and sit in the corner. Yeah. 
because you know the, the bloke had been outside in the sun with us. He'd been reffing all day, um, all day. You know, not heat stroke, but definitely hot and bothered. It wasn't like an, an ideal day to walk in and no. have a crack. Uh, Far from. But he'd warm up. He'd do his dumbbell, and then he'd go and sit down, and he'd calm down. And then just as he's approaching that dumbbell, he's gotten up. He's still calm. He gets to the monolift, which is like three or four meters away from where the dumbbell was, if that. And then back. He's on. Yeah. The grunts are coming, the arms are moving, revving up the crowd, gets that dumbbell, aggression to the dumbbell. That's that fight or flight mode. Yeah. Sympathetic. Sim- what's it called? So we've got two states. We've got a parasympathetic, yep. which is a relaxed, and then a sympathetic dominant state is fight or flight, compete, yep. get your food. And then once that dumbbell, he's got his down call, he's hit the, the map, thank you, thank you, go sit down. Relax. That's an experience compared. That is. That's um, 10 years in the game plus. And there, there's a story as well. Um, a few people have told us about it. I've actually seen it for myself. Benny Magnuson. Benny Magnuson is one of the greatest deadlifters um, probably of all time. Yeah. I think he I think he still holds the raw. I think he's got the raw rec- world record. I think so. I don't pounds. remember anyone. Yeah. Benny, Benny's competing on the world's strongest man. He's one of the, one of the top powerlifters in the world. And... People were saying like they thought it was really weird because he would almost fall asleep, um, or he'd have this like demeanour where his head was on the side of his shoulder, walking sort of walking from an attempt or from a warm up back to his seat, and it's sort of it's like a bit of a switch. You got to know when to turn it on, and you got to know how to turn it off. Yeah. Um, and your ability to control your emotions on comp day, or in any situation, even in even in training. Um, because yeah, if you if you come in and you're hitting every attempt like a fucking nutcase, like that's gonna have some sort of effect on tomorrow's session, yeah, or on Friday session, um, or on your next lift or your next event, yeah. Or for example, yeah, if you're squatting, like you go back into my program, and most of the guys on session one, not everyone, but most people would do some sort of squat and then some sort of press, and there's still work to do after that. They might go back to a squat, and they might have a secondary press movement. Um, so yeah, um, and funnily enough, small segue, I've been doing, I've been going on my little Bulgarian, um, methodology, high intensity, high frequency, um, reading extravaganzas recently. And one of the things like John Bros, obviously was the, the guy, he's still, he's an international coach over in the USA, coach Pat Mendez, um, numerous guys, national champions, American Pan Am teams. Um, and he was saying like these frequent heavy attempts, like there's no psych up involved. You can't, they, they're coming in a squat into max two or three times a day. Yeah. So just for them, they, they, they need to, they needs to get it across them. It needs to be routine. There's no psych up. It just, just be like walking down the street to get a paper, you know, making it part of just the process. Um, and I think, yeah, that can be, you can apply that to, to anything, especially in powerlifting or strongman or weightlifting. Um, your management on your stress um, inwards and outwards is fucking important so you know what I want to we'll have to I'll reach out to a couple of people I'd love to get someone who's you know competed at a reasonably high level in CrossFit and understand their stress management for the day because the way they cycle through energy systems and events um, modalities even in just one workout or you know you get to the games and they had that uh, marathon row 42.2 yeah. kilometers on a rower 
and then you have to get off that, and then two hours later, a uh, snatch ladder. That's not human. No, they're not. But I'd love to. Uh, we'll have to find, reach out to a couple of people and pick their brains. I suppose. Yeah, that, that, that's a that's a that's a good point. And I think this is the way I look at it. Okay, this is this is the way. This is me looking on top of that now, trying to answer that question yeah. for them. It's like CrossFit. CrossFit is trained fucking hard. Yeah. Every day, multiple times a day. It's part of their culture. It's like when you go to a CrossFit gym, it's fucking nuts. You go to a powerlifting gym. I'm guilty as fucking charged. There's gonna be a seat <laughs> next to the fucking squat rack. <laughs> all right. I'm gonna have the little fucking camera stand set there to video pretty little videos from the coach. I've got my drink there. I've got a towel on my fucking lap. Okay, it's comfortable. And I think that's something you've probably seen. I've actually changed that way a little bit. The seat's fucking still there. Yeah. The seat's not going to change. But getting fucking comfortable being uncomfortable. I think we get, you know, obviously strength sports, it's, you know, one attempt, don't rest. But like on comp days, I, I found this out, even in weightlifting with two fucking lifts, snatching clean jerk, three, three on each, and they're over real quick, is that I was coming to my clean jerk, I'm missing fucking clean jerks. Like my last two comps, I've missed attempt two and attempt three. I've only made my opener. And that to me was like, I made that post about honest reflection, yeah. honest feedback on what competition gives us. And I looked at my training, I thought, I'm fucking sitting down after I do it. It's, it's lackluster, do you know what I mean? It's like, I need to, I need to do something now to, to make this better. And I need to make myself be a little bit more uncomfortable on train. Um, where have I gone with that? I've gone off a little We're talking bit. About but yeah, so CrossFit is being prepared because they're prepared to do their sport because from what I see generally in a lot of CrossFit boxes is that they're all fucking trained like lunatics. Yep. Um, so they're prepared to do it. They're, they are essentially that, uh, that Bulgarian, that max yeah. everyday system of, of fitness. Exactly. And just that level of preparedness is, is that much higher. Um, and don't get me wrong, like, you know, obviously we need to rest in, in you know, rest is, rest is very important for output and we yeah. need output for, for, for our sports. Um, but yeah, that grafting mentality is definitely something we can, and it's even something that for the first time, like you mentioned Aaron earlier, someone who fucking grafts when they train, leaving no stone unturned. Um, and obviously there's, you know, a lot of benefits you can get for your work capacity, wherever else. But you're prepared for worst case scenario on yeah. comp day, being prepared, um, being prepared at any cost. And I think that's what it comes down to, fucking preparedness. Yeah, there you go. I think that's a bloody good note to finish on, mate. No matter whether you're training or you're competing, being prepared. Yeah, you got to be. You got to be prepared for, for, for all angles. Um, and I think, I think looking at it broadly, I think CrossFit is they, they definitely do that. Yeah. You know, they're in there. They're fucking getting after it. Alright guys, so next week we'll be chatting, similar chat, but uh, with Mr. Ron Deuce. Um, Ron, if you don't follow him, has a really interesting and eclectic way in which he programs. Um, I love watching Ron's programming. Um, it's, he, it's not standard by any stretch really, um, but he'll be able to give you more details on that. Um, if you'd like us to talk to anyone in particular about programming, coaching, uh, comp day mindset, any competitors or coaches, flick us a message, let us know who you'd like to have on next. We've got a couple of really good guests coming up. But 
for another week. Where can they find you? At the Wally10 on the Instagrams. At Sean2.0. At DNS Trend Collective Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We've got a couple of great YouTube videos coming for you. The drop is now live. Drop, drop three. three. That's it. www.dnsstrength.com. Have a look on there. Some lovely photos done by the magician. Little Jimmy. Jimmy boy. Um, Saturday, we're off to CrossFit Urge. We are. One of our athletes, Chris, is going to be talking to you about his preparations and the up and coming open. Um, so, yeah. Stay tuned. That's it. Thanks for listening for another week, guys. We'll see you next time. Cheers, guys.